0: You're listening to episode 45, COVID-19 update with Dr. Donovan Christie and Martinez Sellers. Hello, darlings, and welcome to the Wake Up and Show Up podcast with your girl, your host, Portia Scott. This podcast is on a mission to inspire and empower you to take your life off autopilot, optimize the power of your uniqueness, and execute intentionally in every area of your life. This episode is sponsored by Portia Scott Media, where we are creating a kinder world through storytelling, and we want to tell your stories. If you are or know a social entrepreneur, a founder, a leader, or an employee, partner, or volunteer within an organization that is making a social impact on society for good, we wanna hear from you. You can head to our website at scott.com and leave us a message in the contact us section. Thank you for partnering with us to magnify the voices of impact. I wanna take a moment to say thank you to everyone that partnered with us on the Caring for Girls fundraiser. It was our first fundraiser and we were able to raise seventeen over $1,700. But with the conversion rate in South Africa, What that really equated to was them being able to purchase 40,000 sanitary pads for girls. This donation is going to keep girls in school. And so I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful for every single donation that came in. And if you're saying, Oh my goodness, I didn't get a chance to donate don't worry, you can still donate. We still have the fundraiser open. We're still trying to donate even more. We want to make sure that we're able to help two million girls by the end of 2020. And we can do that with your help. So if you look in the show notes, the link is in there. And if you haven't had an opportunity to give, you have the opportunity to give using that link. So thank you again to all our partners, all of our listeners. I appreciate you so much. And we are creating a kinder world through storytelling. Hello, darlings, and happy Sunday. Welcome to Wake Up Well, and this is your weekly COVID-19 update. Coming up on today's show, we are talking more about students going back to school. What do those statistics look like? How is this affecting our mental health? And what you can do to stay healthy during this pandemic? As we begin the show, I'm going to bring on my co-host. My first co-host is Dr. Donovan Christy, (laughs) how's it going doc?
1: Hey, good evening. Good evening. Doing well. Doing well.
0: Doug, you know what? I know you're the founder. I know you're the CEO of Anwan, and um, as well as the Picture of Health Foundation. But what are you also called? Are you like the medical director of Anwan one too? Is that what you refer to? I know that's a weird question, but I literally just thought about it as I was bringing you on.
1: Yeah. Well, my title is president and medical director. So. Sorry.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Right. So president. I started it. So I started the the practice back in 2002
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so, you know, it's been, what, 18 years now, and we keep plugging along. Uh,
0: Doc, I'm just happy you're here. I'm yeah. going to go ahead and bring on my second co-host, who is our meta- mental health professional, Martinez, Marty Sellers. Hello, <laughs>
2: Portia. How are hey, you? Hey, Marty.
0: I'm good. And so, Marty, let's get this straight about you, too. Are <laughs> you the co- You're the co-founder, right, of Marcel Consulting?
2: Yes, yes. I'm the CEO of, uh, Mar- <laughs> you know, I, I try to be like Doc. Doc's my hero. You're my hero uh, in so many ways. So yes, I am the CEO for Marcel Consulting and Mental Health Services.
0: I know I didn't have to tell you guys. I know I didn't have to do this, but I just want you guys to know that these are professionals on this show and they take the time out to come and give us all of their good information. So um, while I am so grateful for everyone that tunes in, I'm grateful for you too. So thank you guys so much for being here. Let's jump right in. We have a lot of area to cover and I want to make sure we get your questions as well. So Doc, we're going to head over to you to open us up with just the numbers. What's going on with the cases?
1: Well, you know, um, the cases, and I want to talk a little bit about cases too, just so that we don't get alarmed because the CDC cases are the, the based on the amount of cases that have been detected um, through tests, right? So th- that number is just approaching, well, as of yesterday, it was four um, four million nine hundred seventy 4,974,959. But I heard earlier that they went over, uh, which wouldn't surprise me, they went over the 5 million mark, But um, other sources are saying that the cases that are not checked, they're estimating it to be about 90 million, 90 million people with it. So we're not tested, everyone has not been tested, so we really don't know. But based on the CDC report, on the the tests that we have, it's 4 million cases and um, 5 million cases and over 161, 284 deaths. That is a lot of people since February.
0: And Doc, I think, you know, it's just, sometimes it's a lot to take in, you know? And I want to say this is that, um, last week, we didn't have the show. And I think Marty said it best is that we try to bring you the information that you need, especially as we're all dealing with like COVID fatigue. And I felt like Mm -hmm. that's where I was doc. You know, I think I I was just and and Marty in a place in my mind where I was just like, it's so much, Yeah. even though I had made the decisions that my kids won't go back to school, you know, they'll digitally learn. I was comfortable with our decisions, but I was just like, I wish this was over, you know, like I just Mm -hmm. wish this was over. And so, Marty, you know, as we're looking at these numbers of five million, then doc comes and says that's just people who are tested. So it it could be 90 million. And and I wonder sometime. I know there's tons of people who think I probably had it in February. You know, I had a neighbor (laughs) that says she thinks she had it in February, Mm -hmm. uh, late February, early March. But, you know, she didn't get tested. They just thought it was what the flu or, Mm -hmm. you know, the common cold. Uh, Marty, just uh, what are some ways that we can deal with, you know, the COVID fatigue for me? I was like, I just can't do the show. It's just healthy for me. But what are some ways that that we can, you know, just kind of deal with it in a in a very healthy way?
2: Yes, I, I think it goes back to what we said a lot earlier in the program back in April, May. Sometimes you have to just get unplugged from everything. Mm-hmm. You know, be mindful of how much social media are you looking at. Be mindful of how much television and news because the news will overwhelm you and unfortunately we are not dealing with this in a healthy way at all because we're making this political instead of making this about lives and that can also make you be become very anxious sometimes you have to just de-stress come unplugged and do those things that's going to make you reground you and keep you happy. You know, whether it's, I I, I, I put on my happy shirt today because I, I'm not able to go on vacation like I want to. So I had to put on a vacation-like shirt. Uh, uh, whatever you need to do in order to kind of um, lower that anxiety, remove that frustration, get grounded, go for a walk. I'm trying to walk four and five miles now. Uh, ride your bike, do those things that's gonna keep you engaged um with those things that you like to do so that you lower your anxiety so that you can deal with it. And you can't, it's okay to say, I'm not okay right now, and I need to stop doing those things from work. Uh, maybe you don't cook. I don't know. Whatever you need to do, those things so that you can remain healthy and intact.
0: Doc, I want to speak to you, too. And I, what are some of the things, you know, in your practice or if you were talking to another nurse or another doctor who is in the hospital system who's seeing this? We're seeing, you know, we heard a case, I think, months back where a um, unfortunately ER doctor took her own life and we're Mm. seeing the fatigue within the hospital. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, at first it was, we're all heroes. And I think we kind of came back a little bit, you know we're just so used to them being on the front line. Um, And so (laughs) doc, what is something that you would say to, you know, that those staff members, that population?
1: Well, you know, I'm gonna agree wholeheartedly with what uh, Marty has just said, Mm -hmm. you know in our practice, luckily uh, and Marty knows this, in both locations, we have behavioral health. Mm-hmm. So we can escort them from the examination room into the counseling room. Um, so we, w- once we pick up um, a um, psychological um, issue, whether it be bereavement or depression, right. or anxiety, or they're not coping with things, we can easily get them um, scheduled. Um, or the behavioral therapist will actually come and talk to them if they're to make sure that there's nothing acute going on. But I do want to say that everybody is different, and they deal with stressors, mental stressors, um, differently. Some people are very hardcore, and their, their resistance is tough, yes. and other people are very friable. You know, they're, they, the slightest things really, you know, tip them over. So we have to be able to assess that in, uh, as practitioners and then to do the appropriate referral and treatment. But for me personally, I just have a lot of faith in God. And I know mm-hmm. that, you know, with my faith, all my worries go away because I, I know that I'm a child of God and yes. I know that I'm doing his work and I feel very confident that he's going to protect me.
0: So we do have a question. I'm just gonna ask this uh, so I don't miss it. But Doc, how many times should someone be tested? I'm sure that just depends on the work that they do, but mm-hmm. um, how many times should someone be tested?
1: Yeah, and and you answered it. It really depends on your exposure. <laughs> you know, if you're right. home if you're home all day, which some people are <laughs> because they're very risk diverse, they don't really need to be tested unless they develop symptoms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if they're out there, and they have known exposure or they they believe that they've been exposed, mm-hmm. they can get tested at that time. But you know, the testing brings about its a whole set of problems when you do test positive and what are the different types of tests and what that means. And you know, if you get it, should you get retested? You know, we can talk about that as well.
2: But what I've been noticing also, Doc and Portia, that even in the testing process, mm-hmm. people who've had multiple tests. Um, there's a lot of anxiety because it's taking five to seven days out here in Southern California. Do I go to work? Don't I go to work? You know, do I isolate all those things? I've had people just, and I'm like, okay, let's talk through this again. So I was like, Mm -hmm. I got it. I got like, well, okay, let's talk through this. (laughs) Who have you been in contact with? What are are the symptoms you're feeling um, with that? And just kind of, for lack of a better phrase, talking people off the ledge. But I love one of the comments that said, know your body and know yourself as well. Mm -hmm. Like Doc said, because we all are different. And and some Mm -hmm. people handle anxiety and stress way differently than others. Know yourself, know Mm -hmm. your body, Mm -hmm. and know what you can and cannot handle. And who is your support system in Mm -hmm. all of this? Absolutely.
1: Well, And, and then, so, you know, sometimes uh, people are asymptomatic and they do mm-hmm. come in and get a test. They get the antibody test, which mm-hmm. is a, a tests for the immunoglobulin in your body, which your immune system puts out after exposure, right? Um, but there are people who don't get any type of respiratory symptoms. They get GI symptoms, gastrointestinal symptoms yeah so
0: we're talking about testing, doc. Let's talk about that a little bit, especially as we're these kids are moving into school, right? right. So what are the testing nationally? What's that testing wait time look like now yeah. on average
1: well, you know remember, um, you know, we just came out of a really bad month, July was really bad mm-hmm. July was bad remember we. I I showed you the data back on June 1st, where we were down to about 15,000 cases a day. And then pretty much the entire month of June and July, we were over 60, average 60,000 new cases being diagnosed per day. So there's a lot of testing um, being going on. Now, during those peak times, it was taking as much as 10 days to get a nasal swab Mm -hmm. Um, and you know the the rapid tests. Um, you have two rapid tests. Okay, one is testing for the virus particle itself, a piece of the virus. We're just going to test to see do you have a piece of that virus, and it's a there. It's called an antigen, right? So it's a piece of it. It's a protein that's attached to the virus. You can get that test in an hour, but that test is so limited in terms of the availability of it, only hospitals can get it. Say you're going in for emergency surgery or you're gonna be admitted, everybody gets tested with that that test and it's made by Abbott. So you can find that out pretty much in an hour, you know, before you get admitted. We can't get that as a primary care doctor, I can't get that test. So I, when I first tried to get it a couple months back, it was always an access issue, they just don't have enough of that. So the test that we do it's a test for pretty much for asymptomatic people, or if people had think they have it or have had symptoms, but now are a week into it, then their body would have mounted that antibody response and then we we check that that um, that um, that antibody. And that's a rapid test as well. You find that out within 30 minutes. And so we've done, Portia, over a thousand of these antibody tests. Wow. And you know, there, there are many of the people, I would say, pretty much 75 to 90 um, percent of the people who've tested were asymptomatic. Because that's when how the test is valuable. When you're mm. asymptomatic, if you're symptomatic, you need to get either that rapid antigen test or you get the PCR nasal swab test that takes seven to ten days.
0: Okay. Yeah, I think that's it's it's kind of funny that like if you have the symptoms but you don't have that antigen test, you know, and then you have the swab test and then you're kind of like where Marty was. <laughs> and mm-hmm. by the time they found out, they had already gone through days right. of, you know, right. the symptoms and things like that. So, right. you know, as the kids are moving in doc, you know, going to school, I know here and even in Gwinnett County, um, the kids are starting off next week. Uh, everybody's going to be digital, but they're slowly moving kids in over the next three weeks. So by the first week of September, all of the kids will be in school. Um, I don't know in Gwinnett County, they're not mandating that those kids are tested prior to them coming. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the cases with kids because Mm -hmm. at first it was like, kids don't get it, you know? Um, and so I, I just want to talk a little bit about the cases in kids.
1: Yeah, well, kids do get it. Um, they, they're they just, when I go through the the cases by age group and the deaths by age group, I, I think that's where the, the, you know, people will be bravado about, um, you know, sending their kids back to school because when you compare uh, the, the death rate in kids compared to that of, say, someone over the age of 65, um, it is a tremendous uh, difference, right? Um, so the case fatality rate is much less. But overall, if you had 100,000 um, kids, you know, the way they, um, the scientific community would rate the overall rate of infection per 100,000 kids, that's 447 kids. Cases per hundred thousand people. So you think that's not that much if you have hundred thousand and only four hundred and forty-seven cases. So you know, percentage-wise, it's from all the tests, it's about eight percent of kids that have tested positive compared to the adult population that has been tested.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that, and, and and you are right, when you see that, you're saying, oh, let me just, I'll send my kids to school. I think mm-hmm. the thing is, and even when you kind of broke it down into deaths by kids, I mean, it's substantially smaller than, you know, as you get up in the age groups. Mm-hmm. But I think the problem is they bring it home. Right. right. And so. That's-
1: that's the and, problem, and
0: so some of it was kids can't get it, but then it was that they can't pass it along. So kids are definitely able to transmit this virus, right? Even below mm-hmm. the age of ten, doc? Or
1: oh yeah, most definitely they can. I think any kid can can transmit it, but and you know over the last couple of weeks, so that you know that more and more kids are getting yes. it. Yes, um, ninety seven thousand kids have tested positive from the middle of July until August 1st, 97,000. So that it's going wow. up in terms of the amount of kids that are being tested and being, and being tested positive. So the more testing we do, if you believe in what I said initially that there's really over 90, 90, 90 million people with this disease, Absolutely. you know, the more testing we do is the more positives we're gonna get.
2: Right. I think the, one of the other things that's resounding is that seven-year-old kid in Georgia who died, I, th- I believe, this past week from COVID. And he's really our first, that no, not a, that young, but still that's recent, that right. is really uh, sounding the alarm with that. And we definitely are seeing, even in our child care and, and across the nation, as schools are opening um, and they're going back to face-to-face um attendance at schools that the number of cases are increasing so we're going to go up it's, yeah we can't,
1: can't ignore that. that yeah it's going to go up and so when you look at five million let's look at that number right Um mm-hmm. out of the five million were kids under the age of 18. wow okay um now in july alone I'm, i want to go through the death rate because i think that's where You know, people saying, well, you know, kids are dying from other things. You know, they're dying from Mm -hmm. cancer. They're dying from heart disease. They're dying from other infectious diseases. And so what is the big deal? Um, So, but in the last, in in this last month, we've had 25 kids, including the seven-year-old Marty in Georgia. Right. Uh, 25 kids have died from from COVID in July. Um, Let's break this down by age group. OK, mm-hmm. so um, under one from February 1st, which is when we really started focusing on on COVID-19 to August 1st, we've had and it, the numbers are going to seem small, but 15 deaths and kids under the age of one, 15 kids, 12 months or under have died from COVID from the ages of one through four. We've only had ten deaths. Um, actually, yeah, of uh, ten deaths. Um, from five to fourteen, we've had twenty deaths, and then from fourteen to twenty-four. Now you're getting into the older kids, mm-hmm. uh, the teenagers, and all. Two hundred and twenty-five deaths. But look how it jumps up as you move up. From twenty-five to thirty-four, a thousand deaths. Right. From 35 to 44, almost 3,000 deaths. From 45 to 54, 7,000 deaths. From 55 to 64, that's my age group, (laughs) we have 17,583 deaths. And from 65 to 74, we have 29,000 deaths. Wow. From 75 to 84, 37,000 deaths. Wow. You see wow. the escalation. has yes. You get older, how many people Your are risk. dying. When mm-hmm. they get the disease, right. you're dying from it. It's the yeah. older you are. And over 84, it's 45,000. Mm-hmm. 45,000 people have wow. died.
0: That's so many people. So old
1: people should not get this disease. So as, as Portia said, If these kids come home, school age kids come home, and they have it, and they're dealing with it just like they would a normal upper respiratory infection, but they may give that to someone in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, 70s, whatever, and those are the ones who may die
0: from it. Absolutely,
2: And that's very, con- not to cut you, I'm sorry, Portia, that's very yeah. concerning, especially with a lot of in our uh, black and brown communities. Oh, yeah. Where grandmothers are yes. raising their children, their grandchildren, and they're yeah. uh, being parents to their grandchildren. So that's right. very alarming as Big Mama is now taking care of them or watching them after school while the single mother or single father might be at work. Um, mm-hmm. in all that. so we're, we're now having lots of, of issues that we have to deal with and quarantining issues with that mm-hmm. and and should special circumstances and allowances be allowed for that population group who is most at risk because we're we're putting two precious groups at risk, our children mm-hmm. and we our elderly, elderly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and
1: you know what, Marty, you know you talk about race, but across the board for most chronic diseases, um, if you look at um, people of color, mm-hmm. uh, Hispanics and Blacks, right. we, have higher, yes. yep. we have the highest rates of obesity. We have the highest rates of heart disease, which is the number, nation's number one killer, yes. highest yes. rates of cancer, um, asthma. Yes. Uh, we make up, uh, we're talking about rates. We make up pretty much 11 to 12% of the population, right. probably 15% of the population. Yes. And yet still, we have much higher rates of these uh, of this particular um, chronic disease. Plus, with COVID-19, most of the kids that, are, that have died from this yes. are minority kids. Mm-hmm. Minority wow. kids. And the biggest risk factor is, guess what? Obesity.
2: Uh, obesity. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You know, I know we're doc, we definitely have to have a show um just where we talk about that, right? And I think it's important that we kind of come up with some solutions. In those neighborhoods. So I do want to hit some questions. We have tons of them. Um, so Nicole said, I had a very close friend who recently had a fever for six days, itchy throat, body aches. Um, she had the rapid test done the first day of her symptoms and it was negative for COVID. She was very confused and still thinks it may have been a false negative. Doc, I know mm-hmm. early on, we kind of talked about some false negatives. Is that something that could have been for that rapid test?
1: Um, No. I mean, I think if, you know, if she had the antibody test, she basically didn't mount that response yet. It takes seven to 10 days to mount a response after you've been infected for most people. So she came in when she had the symptoms, but she had not started her antibody response. Now, if she had an antigen test, then, and it was negative, then it would have been a false negative. But if she had the antibody test, if, if she goes back now and gets tested for the antibody two weeks out, she will most likely be positive. Mm. The bottom line is that if you're sick, mm-hmm. you should stay home, whether, you test, wh- 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 whether you're waiting on a test or not. Just stay home because you're, you most likely will infect someone if you're not wearing a mask and, and you, you don't want to continue to spread this disease. If you're sick, you know, so if you're asymptomatic, you should go about your business. Just where you wear your mask and, and and carry on, because there's a lot of people out there like that.
2: Yeah. No, I think, Doc, you're, you're, you're definitely speaking to a lot of people. And I'm finding that a lot of places use that. Now, we use it in our own office, too. And I think it brings about comfort for people in a lot of ways. But we make sure everyone wears their mask. Um, we are not seeing any patients. um Physically, uh, everything is still via Zoom sessions and everything. But even for our staff and we tell them, if you're not feeling well or anything, go home and, you know, let us know the next day. If you need to take some time off, take some time off. That's what it's about. And again, when we're saying you have to know your body, people, we got to be honest with each other and be honest with yourself. I I know we're in fatigue, but it's about your future And how we're all going to get over this together. We have to be honest with ourselves. And really get a better grasp of our own mental health. And our own physical health. If nothing else I've been a lot more vigilant. About my mental health. A lot more even more vigilant about my physical health. And vigilant about what I'm eating. And the supplements that Doc has definitely recommended. I appreciate that. I feel here's the sad thing. I probably feel better now post having COVID. Than I did even pre-COVID. Because I'm being healthy. Absolutely, absolutely i feel amazing walking <laughs> yes. four, or five miles away. yes yes,
0: yes i am that's
1: right see that's rubbing off on you marty <laughs> right,
0: right so i do want to pull up a question deja had a question um marty i think we're going to really speak to this and to her uh-huh. question but also her subsequent her subsequent um comment she's going to keep her first grader home as she knows it's best, but she's not really happy about it, right? It's hard. Um, She's feeling anxious about balancing everything, work, parenting, homeschooling. So, you know, Marty, I really want you to speak to this because this was one of the questions as well, is that what are ways that parents can stay mentally, you know, healthy, especially those Uh, indigenous predicament where they are keeping their their kids home because they feel it's the best thing to do, but they're also nervous and anxious about being able to juggle everything else.
2: Most definitely. You know, I love acronyms. So my acronym today is remain calm. Mm -hmm. Remain calm. And my C, calm in the C in the calm says continue to communicate Communicate with everyone in your family, communicate with your children, allow them to also share um, Mm -hmm. their frustrations, their nervousness um, with that. My four year old, she has a little bit of anxiety because she didn't see us for three weeks, over three and a half weeks. And so now she's like, I'm coming home, right? I'm coming home because you're going to be lonely without me. I, we can keep that communication open. She's allowed to draw pictures. She's allowed to share. She's, you know, she's been a little bit more clingy, which is natural. There was a little bit of separation anxiety that went through that. So can continue to communicate. The A stands for allow for allowances. And when I'm saying allowances, if you're feeling like I can't do this homework today or your kid can't do this homework today, it's it's Okay. You know, if you need to take those breaks in there, you know, we all they do 45 minutes worth of instruction once they get to middle school and high school and then they have a break, put in breaks, allow for those allowances. That you can keep your sanity and remain calm and work through the day. The L. The L stands for leave behind what I like to call loneliness, which I partner that with the allowances. We're going to feel lonely. It's okay. But do those things that will allow you to, one, address the loneliness, and two, replace the loneliness with positive affirmations and positive coping skills to help you along the way. And finally, the M. Maintain your your motivations and your momentum, and that's if you got to do again. Doc is always on this: exercising, eating healthy, doing those, like getting proper sleep and rest, getting unplugged from social media and television, maintaining whatever motivation and momentum that you have to do. So, in that, I say remain calm, and please take those part, uh, those things into action to help you throughout your day.
0: I love that, Marty. You know, I think that's going to awesome. be very, very good for uh, teach. You know, parents, but also mm-hmm. parents that happen to be teachers. Right. The, the very first thing you said about communication was, I remember at the beginning, I had set up a whole station downstairs for my <laughs> kids. I was right. ready to go. I was <laughs> like, we're all organized. We got our schedules. We are doing this. And I remember the kids saying. Well, I want to do the work in my room. And immediately me, <laughs> I'm a tiger mom, but I'm working on it, I'm working on it. And okay. I was like, no, the only reason why you want to do that is because you want to play a game, right? So we go through this uh-huh. thing, and then we have this conversation. And right. I say, how can I support you? Because I Beautiful. think so much we were thinking about how do we just do it? And I said, how can I support you? And um, what I realized, Marty, was going into their rooms was a safe space. Their yes. life had already been uprooted. And even even though it was in their house, being downstairs was another change. So yes. if they were in their room. So I realized that downstairs, Beautiful. even though I was there, they were not paying attention. They were running around like banshees. They were taking more breaks. <laughs> they were eating all my food, you know. And oh, yeah, the they, grocery they, bill goes right, up. Exactly. And then when <laughs> we went to their rooms, they were much more focused. I mean, they still had their things because they're kids, but they were much more focused. My daughter's grade in math went up. With up. And so, I mean, so I I say that because you said communicate. And I think one Mm -hmm. of those things is asking them how can we support you? You know, That's and beautiful. um and when you have that dialogue and, and that understanding, she has a first grader. I had a first grader, you know. Maddox is going into second, but he was in first at the first uh-huh. at the beginning when all this started. So um I think one children are much more resilient than we give them yes. uh, credit for, and they're extremely, extremely smart to the uh you know, to the level where they are. And so they can sometimes they will articulate that they may not know. This is what I want. But when I saw that, I was like, oh, their rooms, it's a safe place for them. And it's been so much. And I had a 12 year old that could articulate um, that it's just safe there. I feel like this is the one place that hasn't changed. Right. You said something
2: that's key that I use a lot of my couples therapy to to say, how can I support you to be successful today?
0: Mm -hmm. And starting
2: off each day like that with your children. And even at the end of the day, hey, were you successful? And if not, what can I do differently? Or uh, if you were, you know, taking those moments and celebrating that success. Small celebrations mean so much. Don't wait for the big events. To, to celebrate, celebrate daily celebrations. We made it today. You did a great job in your room. You are focused. Yep. How yep. can I, you know, and that that is, I'm, I'm proud of you about that. And more parents, listen, just ask her, how can I support you? How can I support I you that. with your emotions? How can I support you with your schoolwork? How can I even support you with your socialization um, in that? And then even ask them, hey, were you successful
0: in that? Great mm-hmm. job. Yes, I love that. So we have a couple of questions. What is the likelihood, Doc? This one is for you. Get, how will we be able to <laughs> differentiate between COVID and the regular flu this fall? Great, that was actually a question, Trish. Thanks. So thanks for asking that, Doc. That's, I'll let you take that one away.
1: Sure, sure, sure. Um, the likelihood of getting COVID nineteen twice is slim, very slim, and it has to do with two things. One. You may have had, had the infection, but you had a very mild infection, and you did not mount those antibodies I talk about mm-hmm. before. You didn't mount a good memory antibody. So when you were exposed again, you didn't, you don't, you didn't have enough to get rid of, of the infection itself. Because that's what antibodies, that's what vaccines, that's the whole principle behind um, vaccines is to allow you or, or the disease itself allow your body to create antibodies that at the next time you come in contact with it, like, for instance, measles, if you've had it and, you know, you have antibodies that are long-lived, as soon as that virus enters your body, it's, it's recognized by the immune system and then eliminated. So the chances of you getting it again is, is very, very, very small. I'm, uh, what I would get, what I would do is to get an antibody test um, two weeks after you were originally diagnosed mm. so you know where you stand. It doesn't mean you walk around the the world without a mask anymore, you know? <laughs>
2: well, right. We have you to know, wear
1: them out here. Had it already. I'm good. I'm good. You know, no, you still wear your mask. Yes. You still do the things that, that you would normally do based on the, 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 guy, the guidelines that are out there that's going to prevent transmission. So- that's pretty much what that
2: is. Doc, another question, because we know that a lot of our, our, in our community, there's a lot of pre existing conditions. Right. So those who may have pre existing conditions, caught COVID, and now are still feeling some of these aftermath. What What are some of your suggestions if you've had asthma? Maybe you mm-hmm. have diabetes or high blood pressure, any of those things, and you're coming and rebounding from that. Right. Do you have any suggestions on how yeah. we can even be more vigilant about that?
1: Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good question, because we've had people who've had COVID and they've had it for two, three days, and their symptom symptoms free. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Mm-hmm. You know, they've, they've taken their vitamin C. They've mm-hmm. taken their zinc. They they make sure that their D. Uh, they have their blood levels of D is good, and right. they get better quick. And then you have the people. I have several people now who've had COVID symptoms for over a month. Wow. Over a month, lingering cough. Wow. Yes. Lingering. Or or um um. Just the fatigue, the mm-hmm. post-COVID viral fatigue syndrome that that we're seeing a lot of people just not fe- not not getting back to themselves. And the only thing, if you have if you have you you, you say pre-existing condition, that's mm-hmm. that's that's an uh, an insurance term. But it's really what we call comorbidities, comorbidity. Comorbidity, right? yes. Additional um, th- disease processes that makes you more at risk should you get the disease. Yes. The number one risk for death of COVID is obesity. I said mm, that for kids, yes. I say the adults. Most, most of the people who are in ICUs from COVID are obese. Not that everyone is, but that is the biggest risk factor. Diabetes and any autoimmune d- um, disease puts you at significant risk as well. Um, cardiovascular disease, congestive heart failure, things like that, co- um, coronary disease with a weakened mm-hmm. heart, those will definitely um, put you at, at at a higher risk as well. So what you w- w- if you have that, and I have several patients. I have one guy with who had congestive heart failure. Mm-hmm. He's going his third week now. He spent a week in the hospital, came out, but he was discharged on oxygen. He still had oxygen. Still mm-hmm. had an oxygen requirement. And so what we're doing with him, we're just tanking him up with nutri- nutrition, mm-hmm. and we're giving him and we're. we're Tapering his oxygen down over a slope over a longer period of time until he can live without it again because he he didn't have it before he had COVID right. so we know we can he can get off of it eventually so it's really just your immune system stay away right. from sugar sugar suppresses the immune system sugar suppresses the immune system don't My start cookies. your donuts and your cookies and all that sweet Pray oh, yeah. for me. <laughs> I need yeah. my coffee and donut. <laughs> sugar is, is, is a big, big immune suppressant. Oh, wow. You know, you might as well take steroids in that case. Wow. You know, so, you know, oh. Stay with me, sugar. Okay, fruit, so- fruit, fruit. <laughs>
0: Doc, um, you know, one of the questions uh, I'm going to go back is follow up between our two houses. Uh, we have a four year old and a 21 year old who have been who have tested negative. Is there anything else we should do to keep them from getting the virus? So, in she had it, but she has a 21 year old and then a four year old, and so they they've tested negative. But I think her concern is: is there anything else they need to do to keep sure. them from the virus?
1: Yeah. If she lives in the same household with them, if they're in the same house with her, she needs to make sure that they do, they do not use her bathroom. She needs to have her own individual bathroom. And when she's around them, she should, by all means, wear her mask. She should not be in the same room with them for a longer period of time, more than just to have meals, probably. And that's it. Because they can get it. We know from the death statistics that I just reported that they will do relatively well. Who, when if when they do get it, but if you don't want them to get it, you're just going to have to practice good social distance even within the home because they're there with
0: you. Mm-hmm. Wow! <laughs> no, Marty's like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Right, right. It's so funny because all these things—it's you know—months ago, this didn't pertain to any of us, but currently, right. everything you're saying <laughs> pertains to, to you guys, yeah, uh, Magalena. You know,
1: after two weeks, after two two weeks, you're, you're theoretically—and they don't know this, right? right? But you you should not be able to transmit the virus. You're not in. Infectious anymore. Right. That's why they say two weeks without symptoms.
2: Right. You're
1: fine. You're not going to give it to your loved ones. That's right. I still right. understand that more and
2: more now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I do. I,
2: yeah.
0: How long after the positive test results do we have to maintain the social distancing? I think you probably just spoke to that. I, I think in the house. No, not really.
1: Because you could have the positive result. This is the big, this is a big, it's a key point. You can have a positive result and you're symptomatic, right? So, you have to wait till you have no symptoms. That's the issue. Like these people who are dragged out, the, the people with the comorbidities that are still mm-hmm. having some type of symptoms, they, they're th- theoretically, by definition, they're still able to transmit that virus. Mm. So it's 10 to 14 days without symptoms, no symptoms. That's wow. the key. It's based on symptoms. So,
0: Marty, you know, I, I do want to ask this question. Um, as the kids are going back to school. Mm -hmm. um, You know, I I just want to know, what are some signs that teachers and parents should look for in children that may show that they're struggling mentally? Because sometimes kids may not act out the way that we do, but what are some of the signs that, you know, maybe your child is is yes. struggling. I think it's important that teachers see this, um, especially yes. as children are going in, but even their children that are distancing learning so that, you know, yes. they're seeing them online or even parents. So, you know, where we think it's a behavioral issue and it's not really a behavioral issue, but it is struggling mentally. So what are some of those
2: You are absolutely right in that. And that's a great sign. We're grateful that we are doing online learning out here at the earliest they're talking about January returning to based upon numbers. So now we're on this um, anxiety about now, what do I do? But you're absolutely right. Behavioral, especially for our younger elementary upper elementary, you're going to see if you see behavioral changes in them. I spoke to that. Some of the younger ones, if you see them reverting back to behaviors that are kind of um, be, be below their age and everything that's a perfect sign that something could be going on um, with that um, what what because she's pre-pre preschool and all that. We saw some clingy behaviors, some acting like a baby. So we needed to talk through some of those things with our elementary kids. Again, the hitting and all of that because they don't know how to deal with anxiety and anger. So we might see an increase of hitting um, in that as well. For boys, let me say this specifically for young boys. Anger is a sign most of the time of depression. Uh, in those regards, and and we we uh, I share this all the time. I think a lot of our boys have been misdiagnosed as oppositional defiant or conduct disorder when, in actuality, they're depressed because boys are taught suppress that man up, you know, don't be a punk and all that. Men, boys don't show emotions with that, so they explode a lot of times. Um, in those regards, so and so those are a lot of we seeing drastic behavioral changes, not hanging out, not talking to the same group of friends that they used to, isolating a lot, sleeping more, um, or even eating more, sleeping less, uh, in those type of things. I know it's that balance. Again, we want to look at know your kids' behavioral patterns. And if there's some drastic changes that's lasting more than two weeks, that can br- raise your eyebrow of concern. And then maybe seeing how you can talk it through with them.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I really do love that. You know, I know even with kids that go back to like bedwetting and things yes. like that, you know, yes. um, just like you Brilliant. said, going back to a a former stage yes. that they should have passed by now. And I think that's yes. so important, you know, as parents, because it's, it's easy for us to quickly um, say, where's that behavior come from? Right. I will say. Me, um, <laughs> instead of kind of looking and saying you you gotta look at the environment that we're in, right? This isn't pre-COVID environment where the kids are back in school, where they're socially, right. you know, with their friends and everything like that. Um, so doc, you know, one of the things Nicole wants to know, she said, I'ma just be bold and put it out here. What <laughs> is considered obese? for let's say a five foot forty eight year old woman, she's asking for a free for a friend.
1: <laughs> Well the, the definition of obese is is having a BMI, a body mass index greater than thirty. Um and you know, I would tell you that it's a there's a lot of um social ethnic um, mm-hmm. things to that because those, those numbers um, really don't take into consideration your muscle mass or your bone mass. Um, so, you know, a BMI is what we use because it's easy. It's just looking at the, the, the your, your weight and by your height and um, through the formula come up with a number that should be under 30. Um, so they're saying that 20 to 25 is normal weight, between 25 and 30 is overweight, and over 30 is obese. And if it's over 40, which we have quite a few people in that category, then you're considered morbidly obese. So a five-foot um, woman um, should probably weigh no more than 130 to 140 pounds. That would be at the high end, um, and then they would probably be considered a little overweight if they were over that, over 130. Um, But, you know, five foot is short. We have lots of stocky people that are short, and and so their BMI far exceeds that. Um, So it really has to do with how much muscle you have on your body and how much fat. Fat is the deadly tissue. That stores inflammation and puts you at risk for diabetes and heart disease, including cancer. So, yeah.
0: absolutely. So, doc, I'm gonna uh, we're <laughs> gonna do two more questions. I'm gonna go look up my BMI, but doc, I've been your girl. But I'm, <laughs> been running about you know three days a week. Look at me. I'm
2: All up. right, um, doc, Go, I, Portia.
0: I tried to do the Strava Strava app. Yeah. And you know it doesn't sync up with my Apple Watch, and so it doesn't count my calories well. So that's what you know. That that's but, why. I, I
1: Oh, I know this okay, is a no, total side you, note, know, but yeah, yeah. Calories, <laughs> okay.
0: I know calories. I know, I know, I know. But it it, 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 it takes in my um, my uh, heart rate and all of that stuff. Right. But um, yeah. uh, so but one of the questions I do want to get to and um is Deja, so Deja said, what supplements um, mm-hmm. do you recommend That's good. Uh, just to go ahead and take? I know we've gone over it before. Doc, if you can um, just kind of give us a couple supplements sure. that you recommend just to keep us healthy. Or
1: just for routine, say without, without COVID, for routine supplementation, everybody should be taking omega-3, omega-3 fish oil. Um, you can get omega-3 from plant-based foods as well. Flaxseed will have it, um, but fish, the source of fish is the best. You, Everyone should be on a probiotic for gut health, because 90% of your immune system, guess what, lies in your gut. That is the entrance of where bacteria, where viruses, fungi, parasites come through, through your gut. So. If you're stressed out and you develop leaky gut, then your good bacteria are going to die out and the bad bacteria is going to overgrow things like serratia and clostridia and helicobacter. Those things overgrow yeast in your system, weaken in your immune system. So you want to put in good probiotics every day um, just to maintain it because, you know, like I said, stress will kill those out. So, and, and you need a good multivitamin. Those are the basic minimum three, a good basic um, multivitamin with minerals and, and, um, and, and herbs in it. Um, probiotic and omega-3 fish oil. That's just what you should take regularly. Now, to boost your immune system, because we don't get out and get as much sunlight and we're not eating as much fish, 90% of Americans are deficient in vitamin D. And guess what? Vitamin D is the most important vitamin for your immune system. We all know that vitamin D is good for your bones. We've heard that. And oh, you have to drink milk. Milk does not have vitamin D in it. It is fortified with vitamin D. So you don't have to drink milk. You take your vitamin D, (laughs) you know? So that's what it is. The the, the milk industry basically fooled us into believing we have to drink milk to get vitamin D when vitamin D comes from fish, it's the source from fish, from oily fish. That's the highest content of vitamin D. You can get it from plants as well, but the highest highest amount comes from fish. So vitamin D is important. Pasteur in the 60s told us how beneficial vitamin C is. It's, a, it's very good, for, it's a great antioxidant. It helps to normalize your immune system and to reduce free radical loads. So you should be taking vitamin um, C. Zinc. Zinc has been shown to alkalinize the blood, which reduces the virus's um, um, attack on our cells. The, The virus to replicate needs an acidic environment. So when you're taking zinc, you're creating an alkaline environment in your body, kind of preventing it from sticking to your cells. So those are the three things that you should be taking in addition To the core three that I told you about.
0: Thank you, Doc, for that. I'm like, right. I know I've heard it before, but I write it down every single (laughs) time. So, those are the supplements that we need to be taking to make sure we are safe. We are right here at the top of the hour. Marty. 30 seconds let us know how can we just continue to one stay healthy mentally um, and also how can we get in touch with you and hear some of the stuff that you have going on but also if we have someone that needs some telehealth mental services how can we get in touch with you
2: awesome well again i love this continue communicating uh, what I love to say is speak up, speak out, and live. You got to communicate and share if you're going through anything. Um, let other people know. Uh, I can be reached at Mental Health Matters with Marty on Facebook and on my podcast, Mental Health Matters with Marty, uh, a, a Portia Scott media production. And we are so grateful for that. Yes. And um, definitely um, my new website mentalhealthmarty.com with that as well. And we can definitely get you pointed in the right direction as it pertains to mental health.
0: Thank you so much, Marty, for Thank that. Thank you. Doc, let us know, how can we get in touch with you? I know Tricia was asking um yes. yes. visits um, as well as just, how can we stay in touch with you?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's the Anwan Wellness Medical Center and there's a direct line there. The appointment line is 678- um, 822-9555 um, and that you'll get directly in touch with my um, administrative assistant and she books all my appointments the ones that I do online because um, there's a set time for that because you know, usually when I'm in the office I can't do um, telehealth appointments because I'm rushing between room to room and stuff like that so yeah, call that number and um, you can get on uh, my schedule. Uh, it probably be a little bit of a time, but it'll be soon enough.
0: Excellent. Thank you all so much, so much for being here. Thank you all for listening. We appreciate you. We are here every single Sunday um, at 7 p.m. Eastern time. We are giving you, uh, we are waking you up well, but right now we are giving you your weekly COVID-19 update. But stay tuned because over the next couple of weeks, we have some other topics that we will discuss. So you guys, thank you so much for joining. You know what we do every single show. We end it this way, waking up is automatic showing up is intentional today I will show up thanks again for spending time with me today and listening to the wake up and show up podcast if you enjoyed this episode subscribe so you never miss a show leave a five-star review and share with a friend or foe you can follow us on Instagram Facebook and Twitter at I am Portia Scott until next time go impact the world